0: Um, we're going to open the service in a word of prayer, um, and uh, I'm going to ask Brother Chris Clayville if he could come. If you want to play um, Bring All Your Needs to the Altar, if you know that one. We um, want to uh, remember uh, Brother Fulcher and Sister Becky, Brother Fulcher um, has been in the hospital Day today, and Brother Barry was with him just before uh, quickly coming down here and getting here just in time before um, uh, church started, so we want to uh, remember Brother Fulcher and Sister Becky, I believe, is with him as well. Um, many of you know Sister Mindy uh, Osborne. Uh, she's having surgery, I believe, tomorrow, so we want to remember her in prayer. Uh, Brother Jeff Jackson is working and Brother Matt is in South Carolina. Uh, I don't know if he's speaking tonight, but we want to remember uh, Brother Matt in prayer. How many of you have unspoken prayer requests? Amen. I've got them. We need Brother Chris if you could come. Heavenly Father, we are certainly thankful for your mercy in our lives, Lord, and we want to take a moment as we start the service, Lord, just to bring our lives before you and lay them before your altar. Lord, if there's anything in our lives that would be a hindrance to us receiving your word tonight, Lord, we just claim your blood over it. Lord, we bring the needs that have been brought before the people,
1: both those that have been spoken, those that are unspoken, Father, ask that you would have your perfect way in, in each of those. Lord, be with Brother Barry as he brings forth the word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Our our earnest desire tonight is that we would see a little bit more of
0: you. Lord, that we would learn more about you. And in learning more about you, we would know more. And in knowing you more, we would love you more, Father. Lord, come and be the honored one here tonight. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing one more song uh, before uh, we're seated. You know, on a Wednesday, I don't know about you, but my life gets pretty busy during the week and you get all these things going on in your head and we all have got stuff going on, uh, right? And so it's sometimes nice just to take a few minutes. Let's just relax. Take a deep breath. Uh, Get our spirits uh, in the right mood to be ready for the word. So I just want to sing one song. We're going to We're going to sing, and then Sister Anna is going to come. She could come right after this, and she's going to sing a special. I'm going to sing that song, um, Jehovah Jireh. See? Um, See, more than enough for you. Amen? doesn't matter what's going on. I'm thankful, you know, whether it's drugs, alcohol, money, nobody can find. If you're in the world, it's never enough. Amen? But I'm thankful he's more than enough for us. Amen? Jehovah,
2: Jireh, will my provider. Healer, and by Your stripes I have been oh set free. Jireh mm-hmm. Jehovah Jireh
0: Turn and shake hands with those that are around you. Greet them to the service, and you may have your seats. Sister Anna.
3: song is not really prepared but it's really been on my heart for the last couple weeks and i hope it'll be a blessing just sing it with me if you can
0: The ushers to come this time. Thank you, Sister Anna. That was beautiful. Brother Johnny, can you ask the blessing on the offering? We're going to sing, We Need You, Lord, and then as uh, Brother Barry comes. Do you need him? <laughs> Amen. I need him. I need him every day. It seems, uh, seems like I'm always making a mistake. i always uh, having to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I need you. Help me make a decision. Help me to correct this mistake I've made. Um, help me just to get through the day. Amen.
2: need you, Lord, we need you, Lord. our hands and bow our knees and worship at your throne because we need you Lord we need you Lord right now
0: let's make it personal I need you I need you, Lord,
4: Lord, right now.
2: I need you, Lord, I need you, Lord.
1: as we bow in your presence, Lord, that is somewhat of an understatement for us to say that we need you, Lord. We need you even more than the breath we breathe and the food we partake of. Lord, you are everything and we depend upon you and ask, Lord Jesus, tonight that you would look upon us with mercy, Lord, and look upon us through the blood of Christ as we stand here tonight. We're depending on you, Lord, and invite your presence just to minister to our hearts and bless the reading of the word. We commit the people and the needs, Lord, into your hands. We pray especially, Lord, tonight for Brother Fulcher and Sister Becky, Lord, and ask that you just be merciful to him and undertake in that situation, Lord. I pray that it would all work according to your will and your purpose tonight. Father, we commit that into your hands. We love you. We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. And ask, Lord Jesus, that you be present with us tonight. We can look ahead at what's coming in the weekend. We can thank you, Lord, for what you've done, but today is today, and Lord, we want to take full advantage of this day, this hour, because we'll never, ever have it again, and so we commit this time into your hands, in Jesus' name, and for your glory, we pray, amen, and amen. Praise the Lord. While you're standing tonight, let's take a look in the Bible in Romans chapter 16. we just take a reading there uh, tonight. I'd ask you to remember, uh, Brother Fulcher, he's still in the hospital. I was there with him all day, and uh, Sister Becky is there now, and uh, they're deciding about where to uh, take him, and at his age, he's got some complications, of course, and um, if you don't mind just remembering that in prayer, that would really be wonderful, and that's the greatest thing you could do for us. Also as well, I' was, had uh, some time. I spent some time on Monday night with Brother Reagan, and he was just sharing a little bit about the details of his daughter Erica, who has cancer, and uh, he's just telling the situation. And so if you don't mind remembering him in prayer, or her in prayer, rather, uh, that would certainly be wonderful. I told him that we would uh, continue to mention it in front of the church. Romans chapter 16, and just a couple of verses here. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but is now made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever, amen. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. you may be seated tonight. Just want to remind you on our weekend here uh, coming up, we have uh, two services, and we all know when those two services are, correct? Right? And we have a picnic on Monday, and that picnic will start at 11. Wonderful. The food will start at 1, but the picnic itself will start around 11. So uh, it's a holiday, so you just want to come when you uh, would like to come, certainly fine. But if you don't come at 1, you won't get what you want to eat. And I will tell you, it will be, it will be nice. So we pray that the Lord will uh, be gracious and give us good weather. And um, I'm sure it will be an enjoyable time. But we, we pray especially for the services uh, on Sunday. Now, um, <clears throat> I had a lot of uh, good feedback. People were uh, sharing with me some of the things that they um, gathered from the service on last Wednesday night. So uh, I just want to say uh, as well, I, I take service Wednesday night service just as important as any other service. I don't think it's a lesser service or... Uh, it's less deserving of my attention or something like that. I don't feel that way at all. Matter of fact, I'm pretty convinced that in heaven there's no such thing as a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Monday or a Sunday. Or I believe that uh, to God it's all important when his g- people gather. And and he shows up. This is the, the promise that he has given us that when two or three are gathered in his name, there he would be. But there's also something supernatural about the the written word, and that is that when you read it it's the only book that you can ever read where the author shows up. He comes on the scene when you read it, and it's an amazing thing and when you look at the, in, in the book of Romans where we read there, Paul writes, he said he said this great mystery that God has kept, but now he's letting out he didn't let it out in fullness in Paul 's day. But he, he's letting it out, and he said this mystery was kept since the world began. And the way that God decided to reveal that and to write about that was through the scriptures of the prophets. Now God's word, uh, we, we know that uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? So therefore the word takes a very, very high place in our minds and in our thoughts, yeah. right? Right? And God decided that I'm going to give the prophets the privilege of describing me. I'm going to give the prophets the job of writing these books and to describe me and to uh, hide the things that are supposed to be hidden and and, uh, declare the things that are supposed to be declared. I'm going to give that job to the prophets. So therefore, these prophets, these ones that have uh, been used of God to read the scripture, they're also very important people in the eyes of God. Right? And in the mind of God. They're very important people. And so, therefore, what they say is not just a, an opinion or a thought about something. It is actually the disclosure of Almighty God. Amen. It is God saying, I want you to say this because this speaks about me. And I want you to say this because it shows me. And I want you to say this because this describes me. And, and that's, that's not something that's trivial at all. And when we talked about the school of the prophets and the, uh, you know, the, uh, this, this group that followed Elijah, for instance, or the group that followed Samuel uh, back in the, those different schools of prophets there, uh, they should not, and you should not assume that those uh, men in those schools of the prophets were on the same level as a prophet that uh, Paul is writing about here in Romans 16. They're not the same. Is that all right? They're not the same. And these men that are born prophets, like we were talking about Moses and Elijah and Paul and, and, and Brother Branham and so forth, these men are ordained from the womb. They're, they're ordained to be prophets and they come to, into the world to do a very special job and they do a very special presentation of the actual thoughts and attributes in the mind of God. And, and they're not on the same level as people that are ordained as preachers, right? And <clears throat> these, these men uh, receive something from the mind of God. And it's a very, very uh, powerful thing. It's a very, uh, very important thing. And this, this is not something that you learn. It's not something that you acquire by virtue of being in the church long enough. I've had people declare to me that they're uh, they're very uh, they're very prominent because they've been in the church a long time. And I've often wondered how long is a long time? Like, I got my forty two year pin. Is that long enough? or do I have to go to 45, or is it 50? I'm not sure. But let me tell you, there's none of that when it comes to these prophets that Paul is writing about here. Yeah, right. I, I, have a, I have a role to play, I have a job to do and as a pastor and a minister and so forth, but I'm not on that level. And I'm not, I'm not striving to be on that level as one of those prophets there. And God set this up. God did it this way, not me. And And that's... Uh, that's his choosing and so therefore uh, at at the end of this little preamble and I'm not going to preamble for a long time tonight but at the end of this little statement I'd just like to say that uh, the words then of a prophet like this these prophets we're talking about at, at the end of the day the words of these prophets are not to be trifled over neither are they to be debated Because you have to believe whether this is a true prophet of God or not, these prophets of Malachi 4, and if they are, then uh, if you really believe that that's a prophet, the debate ends right there. Because if you believe that's a prophet, there is no more debate, right? It's it's not like we're going to debate what Brother Branham said. If you believe Brother Branham was that prophet, then the debate ends there, right? Right? You, you you can't you can't take that any farther. It's I. He's either a prophet or he wasn't. And I believe that he was. And I appreciate you being here tonight, lending your support to the same statement. Now, in thirsting for life, brother Branham, and and this is a repeat. He said, "I just love reading the word." You know, he said, "The Holy Spirit feeds on the word." And Jesus said, "It is written that man shall not live by bread alone." but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And, and if you just take it each day, not just as a routine, but just make your heart crave for it, to just sit down each day and read so much out of the Bible, you'd be surprised what it'll do for your spiritual growth. It certainly will. I was telling you a little while back, humorously, that you know, I have my new Bible and I have it here. And my, my problem that I have with this new Bible is that I think I love it too much. And I don't, I don't want to carry it around with me in my knapsack and get it all messed up. And I don't want to, you know, I, I just kind of want to leave it for here in the pulpit. And so I have another Bible that I carry with me, and I, I read that one and, and uh, mark it up. But this one is just so, so very nice, and, and uh, I just love it, to, you know, to death. But uh, uh, Brother Branham is telling us something very important, that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this idea of scripturally dividing between the ministries of John the Baptist and William Branham so that we can be clear, and we can be clear in giving an answer to somebody uh, when they would ask us about the scripture uh, in in the chapter of Malachi 4, but also when you're uh, defending who Brother Branham actually is, it's nice to know this and where he actually belongs uh, in the scripture, because if he's a Bible prophet, there's got to be Bible verses associated with his ministry, right? And his life. And, and that's, that's what we need to know. It's just like if I asked you girls, well, uh, you know, why is it that you don't cut your hair? What's the Bible verse? Where can you show somebody uh, where, where it says that a girl should not cut her hair but a boy should? And we, we should know those things because uh, those are the kinds of things that people would ask. Because we, uh, you know, the sisters especially stand out uh, because of their long hair, and uh, it's nice to have a biblical reason for that. We're not just doing that because it's a custom, we're not doing it because that's the way our church believes it. Not at all. We're doing it because we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so therefore, we want to know in the word, well, where do these things fall? So we, we find out that God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophet. And we mentioned these, uh, these three aspects of that verse last time. And secrets are uh, beyond the general understanding. These are the things that God speaks, but the meaning is not obvious. Uh, they're, the, the, the revelation is known to some and kept from the knowledge of others. So there's no way. When God, God's, one thing God is, is a great hider. He's a great hider. and When he hides something, you'll never figure it out. You'll never have enough brain power to get it done or enough bandwidth to, to be able to hang on long enough to figure it out. You'll never do it. So there's three musts that are found in Scripture. And Brother Branham goes into detail in, these in uh, this sermon. Christ is revealed in his own word. But just watch here. He says there are three musts that must be. Number one, you must not misinterpret the word, Amen. nor mishandle the word, nor dislocate it. Dislocate it meaning that you can't take a verse and put it in the wrong place and make it work. You can't do that, right? Like you can't take uh, Malachi 4 and place it all at the end of the age. Certainly that's not true. So that would be a case of mislocating the word. And he said we cannot misinterpret it, nor mishandle it, or dislocate it, all right? And it must be kept just exactly the way that God said it was, to the world, it's a book of mystery. The people, it's just a mysterious book. But to the true believer, how many true believers do we have tonight? It's the revelation of God being revealed in the age we're living in. Amen. Those, those ministers of every age, those candlesticks of every age did not say exactly the same thing. But they revealed something that revealed Christ in their day. Yeah. Right? In our day, we happen to have the mother load. We have the whole thing. And, and he says, uh, Jesus said, my words are spirit and life, and that word is a seed, and the seed that a sower sowed. And we know that's true. It's God in word form, and can only be interpreted by God. Yeah. You see that? It's God in word form, and God gave that inspiration to the prophets, and therefore it can only be interpreted by God. It's not Brother Branham's message. It's, the New Testament is not Paul's New Testament. Are we okay? The first five books are not Moses' books. They're God's books. But God gave it to Moses, and God still holds the key to revelation himself. So no matter how much Brother Random knew about the seals and everything else, you know what's, what's interesting? He could not give anybody a revelation of what he preached. That's an interesting thing. Only God holds the key to revelation himself. So no matter how much I know, or no matter how much God's revealed to me, I can't give you a revelation of what I've just preached. God's got to give you that. And that's a really important thing. Now hold on to it. He says the human mind is not capable to interpret the mind of God. And how can this little finite mind interpret the infinite mind when we can't even interpret one another's minds? And that's really true. That's really true. We misunderstand, we mislocate, and we misrepresent other people's thoughts many times, don't we? I got to tell you this. I was, Joe and these two guys in the front row were away one Sunday. And it was that Sunday when I was talking about the subject low life. And I was talking about movie theaters. And I said, after service on that Sunday, I wrote to them and said, hey, how are you backside? I mean, how are you guys doing? We missed you on Sunday. And they wrote and said, well, we listened to the service. That's what they wrote back. We listened to the service. And I said about the service, it seems to be a real problem among young people. Well, they sent back a question mark. And I couldn't figure out the question mark. And they obviously couldn't figure something out because they sent me a question mark. And what they thought was, <laughs> this is true, right? Joe wouldn't lie. Neither would Noah. They thought that I meant young people staying home and listening to services online is a real problem among young people. That's not what I meant at all. They had the misinterpretation. They had the problem. But I thought that was funny because that's the furthest thing from my mind. It was the furthest thing from what I wanted to say to them. And uh, I was thinking that, you know, theaters and entertainment and all that kind of stuff, that, that's a, pr- a problem among young people. And that's, that's, in my mind, that's what I was thinking. But you know what? Look at what he says here. We're not capable to, to figure out the mind of God if we can't even get that right. Three sentences on the, on the chat. We, if we couldn't get that much right, how can we, how can we even be trusted? Or how can you even, even come close to believe that God would give us the mind, you know, the, the whole revelation of the whole thing when we can't even get stuff like that right? He's got a better way. And he's not depending on our intellect. He's not depending on our ability to get it right, remember it all, and figure it all out. He's not depending on that. It's not how smart you are. It's not how long you've been in the faith. Not at all. It, it, it's it's the, having the mind of Christ. And he gave you the thing to be able to pick up what God is doing in your day. And you notice he said he's the only one can interpret it. He interprets it to whom he will. It doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say, mortals of old as they strode across the earth in sundry times and diverse manners. It doesn't say that. It says God in sundry times and diverse manners reveal himself to the prophets. So it doesn't say that God revealed it all to the people. He didn't do that. But God revealed himself to the prophets. So God has a better way than to give all of us uh, peanut brain people uh, you know, something so important and so powerful as, as the revelation that he gave to these prophets. But remember, the prophets, as good as they were, and as dynamic as they were, and as powerful as they were, they still couldn't give anybody a revelation of what God gave them to give to us. That still requires you getting in the spirit and hearing the, the right word. And remember now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, but your hearing's got to be right in order for your faith to be right. I'm not playing word games with you here. Your faith, the only way your faith is going to be right is that your hearing is right. And with all the different messages and all the plethora of information that comes to us in these days, let me tell you. God knew what he was doing in sending this message and not only preserving it but allowing it to come in a time when media would be able to reproduce it so that we could all have it in our time. And in that, in the hearing of that, God reveals himself and makes himself known to us. This is a bonus here. Look, just take your Bible for a minute and go to Matthew chapter 8. Just just to illustrate the point here. Matthew chapter 8. You'll you'll know this story. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, Matthew 8 and 5, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Familiar story. Matthew 5, verse 8. Sorry, Matthew 8, verse 5. The centurion answered. Now this is what's interesting because if we stop right there, that'd be okay, right? That'd be a good story. It'd be, it'd be typical of The the actions of Jesus. But watch now. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And Jesus heard it, and he marveled, and he said unto them that followed him. In other words, he turns to the crowd, and he says, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Why is that great faith? And how did Jesus know so thoroughly that this man had great faith? You say, well, Jesus knew that, uh, you know, new men's hearts and so forth. Yes, that's true. But he says, I, I've, I've not found so great faith. He doesn't say, I've not found such a great man. He says, I've not found such great faith. Yeah. Why is he saying that? Or how can he say that? I guess would be the, the, the question here. And I'd like to say this. That I believe that when you have the right faith, when you're hearing the right thing, and you have the right faith, it changes your understanding of things to match the kingdom of God. Think about this. Jesus could tell this man's got a revelation by the, under, by the wisdom and the understanding by which he answers Jesus. You didn't get that in a book. You didn't get that in a seminary. You didn't get that by, uh, you know, tuning in on, on some radio broadcast here. You got that from my Father which is in heaven. Because that's exactly how it works in the kingdom. Yeah. So he not only has a... Re- Jesus knows he's not only got a revelation of, of who Jesus is because he would never have asked him to come and deal with the servant, right? So he's got faith enough to do that. But when he's, when he's in this situation here... He knows, he knows enough to know, Jesus doesn't need to be physically present in my house to command that demon to go out of my servant here, but he can just speak the word because the power is in the spoken word. Hey, where did he hear that sermon? Where did that centurion, as a Gentile, where did he figure that out? He never got that from the seminaries of his day. He never got that from the radio broadcasts of his day. They were all preaching against Jesus in that time. He got it from him. And his understanding spoke of his faith. He's got an understanding of a reality that's different or above or greater than the normal understanding of people. I hope you catch what I'm saying to you tonight. And and understand that, hey, we're only a handful of people in a simple building here tonight. But the understanding you have is far superior to the rest of the world because of the faith you have. Since you're in Matthew, go a little bit further. This is all a bonus. Let's go to Matthew 16. You know these verses. I just want you to see them in your Bible there. Matthew 16, verse 13. And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah, some one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Well, well, well. You're getting, you're getting your understanding the same way I'm getting my understanding. I said... Jesus says to Peter, you're getting your understanding from the same source I'm getting my understanding from the Father. Peter didn't learn this, right? He didn't go to school to learn this. He didn't, uh, he, he didn't uh, you know, sit down and, 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 and have a conversation about this. This is not something you can, you can talk about enough and come up with the right answer here. Peter's got a, and and Jesus acknowledges this. He said, "My Father, which is in heaven, reveal that to you." And that's exactly how Jesus operated. He operated by everything the Father said. Isn't that right? So in other words, this is the, if you like, it's a preview of how the Holy Spirit's going to deal with people by giving them that revelation. And let me tell you, even though Peter never had the full baptism of the Holy Spirit, because you know, later in the chapter, in the next chapter there, he starts to mess up and even denies Jesus later on. But let me tell you something, that's what happens when we're here, we're in the presence of him who speaks the right thing. It creates the right faith and your understanding of things, the answers you give, are far above and far superior than normal understanding because it's not coming from the minds of men, it's coming from the mind of God. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. So, when you think about, and and this is just, I'm just leading to something here, but when you think about, here's Brother Branham and and he's in why cry speak and this whole sermon is about it, it, the story is based on Moses there when they're backed up against the sea and the mountains on either side and Pharaoh's armies coming against them there and Moses cries out to God and said, "Lord, you know what, what are we going to do here?" and he says, "Hey, why cry unto me? Speak and go forward. You're already under a commission." You have a revelation of who you are. You have a revelation that this is the fulfillment of Abraham's promise that I made to him years ago, and you're on your way. This is, this is a move of God. You're right in the middle of it here. Don't, don't stop now, but speak and go forward. And Brother Bram's going through the same thing in the form of a complex where he's just, you know, he just wants God to tell him everything that he's supposed to do, and he says, no. He says, speak and go forward. There's no retreat. There's no staying on the same ground. Let's move with the Spirit, or the Spirit will move on to somebody else and leave you standing. You follow it. Do all that's in your heart, for God is with you. That's what God tells Brother Branham. He says, move on and do all that's in your heart, for God is with you. God's given you a ministry. God's given you a calling. God's given you a commission. God's given you a place on the timeline of God. And there's something that's happening here. Don't go back on that now. Don't go back on that now. Speak and go forward. He said, talking about Daniel, he didn't pray through. He was already prayed through. God had prayed him through before before the foundation of the world. He was anointed for the job. He had to speak and go forward. That's all there was to do about it. Just speak and go forward. Hey, who's reading this sermon now? It's not the people in the world. It's us. And I wonder, is God priming us and teaching us and molding us to the place where we begin to realize, just like that centurion, that even though nobody tells me to say this, I know this is true, my understanding, my understanding, which comes from my faith in God, tells me this is how it is, and I'm going to go forward. Does that make sense? We don't have Brother Branham here saying, sending out directions every Sunday morning and saying, all right, this is what I want the bride to do, and this is what I want you to do this week, and this is what I... We don't have that. You know what we have? We have a revelation that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's given us a commission. He's given us a promise. He's given us a destiny. Isn't that right? And the understanding you have is a result of the faith you have, which is, an under, which is a result of the hearing that you have. The understanding you have is a result of the faith you have. And that faith you have is a result of what you've heard. We know it comes from God. So don't hold back. Don't hold back. Speak and go forward. That's all. There was nothing left to do but speak and go forward. I wonder, why I wonder is when God will be ready to bring us to a place where we have nothing left to do but to speak and go forward. Will we be hemmed in by the world and the, and the systems of this world and everything else and, and have nothing to do but just speak and go forward? Well, let me tell you, I pray that God would increase our faith so that we could have a greater understanding, greater wisdom, so that we could actually speak and go forward. Now let's look at these two prophets here now. Because remember now, these are prophets not to be debated, right? Right? Look at Elijah, Brother Bram said, he condemned all those pain of face Jezebels of his day, immoral women, and what did John do? Same thing to Herodias. Look at Elijah, after he'd done that great work, he got moody, laid out there and prayed for God to take him. John did the same thing, laid there and sent his disciples and said, go ask Jesus, is he the one or should we look for another? And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew this was the spirit of Elijah here at work. And here's John the Baptist in prison sending the the men, as we said on Sunday. He said he was Elijah, and that had to be his nature, identified exactly as Elijah was in the spirit of Elijah. So it's not Elijah the man, but the spirit that was on Elijah now moves to another man, right? Can the spirit of God come on, can the spirit of one man come come on another man? Can the spirit of one man come on another man? Yes, the Bible says it could. We'll we'll come to it in a minute here. It is to come, Brother Bram said, it is to come five times. That spirit, that same spirit to be used. Elijah, Elisha, John the Baptist, Malachi 4, and then Revelation 11 for the Jews. Right? Everybody understand? This is elementary here, but I need you to make sure we got this. He said, the last days, tonight... I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty clear. And the last days, tonight, the spirit of Elijah, like right here, folks. Hello? Amen. Right here, you have the spirit of Elijah manifesting itself. Amen. Sister Doris, I don't know if you knew that when you were sitting there as a young girl in the tabernacle. But Brother Bram saying this so clearly. He said, God uses him five times. And the last days, tonight, which were there. The spirit of Elijah, you're seeing it tonight. Today, I want you to look at our modern Ahab prophets today, letting their Jezebels cut their hair, paint their face, wear shorts, smoke cigarettes, and, and say, it's okay. And our Ahab prophets of today, so we have Ahab prophets, and we have real prophets, same day, going with their schools, sure, leading them around by man-made creeds and denomination. And what is it? A bunch of Ahab prophets. You don't want to be led by an Ahab prophet, Right? We need another mind. You don't need to be led by some guy who's looking for money. You don't need to be led by some guy who's looking for a kingdom or a popularity or something else. You don't need to be led by a guy who's trying to be your best friend all the time. It's not my job. I've looked. It's not in my job description. I'm here to tell you the whole counsel of God. And the Bible says for me to feed the flock, the whole flock. And that means not catering to one family or this family or something else, you know. It's feed the flock. Give them the whole counsel of God. That's what I'm supposed to do. And we need another Micah to rise on the scene or in the time of Ahab, another Elijah to come on the scene. So God longs for the type of character that Elijah was and would stand there and say that this actually is the truth no matter what it's going to cost me and fearless about it. So the claim is that both are anointed with the spirit of Elijah, And here's the prophecy of Malachi 4. I'll send you, Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So this is the promise of two prophets coming. We know this is two prophets. We'll look at that in a second here. And we have a great day and we have a dreadful day. And the dreadful day of the Lord refers to the day of judgment, or what the Bible says is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a good thing in in Scripture. The day of the Lord is is the season of judgment that comes. And I could show you that. I've got some scriptures here for you. You can look them up on your own. But the day when Jesus came as a Savior to to bleed and die in in repayment for your sins, that was the first coming of Christ, the first advent of Christ. And that first coming needed a forerunner, just like the second coming needs a forerunner as well. And their jobs are specified. Number one, He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. We know that was John the Baptist. And then secondly, the heart of the children to their fathers, that's Malachi 4, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So those are the two things that are done by two prophets that both come with the spirit of Elijah on them. And we look at John the Baptist. His job was to prepare the way of the Lord. And as I mentioned uh, uh, last week in Matthew chapter 3, we find the same thing again. In these days, John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And <clears throat> the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. So John identifies himself through the scripture. And remember, the, the meaning of the word prepare is figuratively, like, we've, well, like I read, and is on the bottom of the screen there. It is the custom of sending servants ahead of the kings on their journeys. To level the road take off the trees that fall, fill in the, the big potholes and remove the stones and so forth. They're bringing up the low places and they're bringing down the high places and they're trying to make this as smooth as possible for the king who's coming. And their job was to be a herald, one that announced that the king is coming and made preparations for the king's chariot to come. So that's all they that were there. And I will tell you this, that the one who was to prepare the way was not the Lord, it was, it was someone whose job was to prepare. Are we okay? So if you're going to worship anyone in this scenario, it's not the one who prepares the way, but you're going to want, worship the one whose way is prepared. It's a, it's a mistake. It's a grand mistake. It is a real mistake to worship the one who prepared the way. That's why we don't have Brother Branham's picture hanging in this church. Because we don't worship Brother Branham. Neither do we want to even imply that we worship Brother Branham. Because we don't. And we won't. So this is very clear. And this is, what, this is what's described. So half of the Malachi prophecy is John the Baptist. And Jesus says it in Luke 1, 7. Here it is. And he shall go before him. John, let me fill in the the uh, the pronouns here. And John the Baptist shall go before Jesus in the spirit of Elijah. Right? You say, why is it Elias? Because this is written in Greek. Are we okay? Same same person here. This is Elijah he's talking about. So John the Baptist shall be, go before Jesus, prepare the way, in the spirit of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It doesn't say anything about turning the hearts of the children to the fathers. Right? It says that his job is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So how does he do this? How does he do it? He does it in the spirit of Elijah. So that's the biblical answer. When somebody says, well, how could William Branham have the spirit of Elijah? You can point him to this verse and say, yes, it's possible for one man to have the spirit of another. That's what happened with John the Baptist, right? Are we okay? Elisha had it because God took it off Elijah and gave it to Elisha. John the Baptist had it because God took it from Elisha and gave it to John the Baptist. And that's exactly the same thing that God did for the Gentiles. And not only to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, but the the, uh, the, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Now that word just there refers to Jesus. The disobedient to the wisdom of the just one. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that's what John the Baptist's role was. So Luke describes it in a very nice way. So, let me jump ahead just for a little bit here. Elijah comes before the great. The spirit of Elijah is used before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, great first coming, which refers to uh, Jesus coming in Luke chapter four, when he went into the temple and sat down and the scroll was handed to him and he unrolled rolled the scroll to Isaiah chapter 61. You remember that? And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach glad tidings. Right? Remember that? And then he rolled the scroll back up and handed it to the rabbi and all eyes were upon him and it says that this day the scriptures will will fulfilled. That's what Jesus said to them, this day the scriptures fulfilled." I'm telling you, this is exactly what's supposed to happen right in this hour. Jesus said, I'm here to do it. And through his first coming, because the spirit couldn't die, God became flesh, lived on this earth, died to death, rose again, And in doing that, reverse the curse that Adam brought in the Garden of Eden. Glory to God. And so therefore, paid a price for our sin. The dreadful day is the day of the Lord or the time of judgment upon earth and those who have rejected the grace offered in his great plan of salvation. So you can say, well, Brother Barry, there was great things also going to happen in this last day. Absolutely. Because I believe that what God's doing here is great. I said, I believe that what God's doing here is great. I believe that what God's doing here is great. I hope you can feel the same way. I get up in the morning. Hey, I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad to be in this age. I'm glad to be saved. I'm glad to know it. Glad to have the understanding that I have because I know it didn't come from my uh, university background and it, 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 my former life. It didn't come from that. What I know, I know by the grace of God. And you know what? It's a day that shall be neither light nor day, but in the evening time there shall be light. Glory to God. I'm thankful for living in a day of complete gross darkness, but there's light in the middle of it, and God places his bride right in the middle of it, and we can walk down the pathway. Hey, that's great. You say, well, there's dreadful things about the days of Jesus. Absolutely was. Sure was. Because they tempted him and they, uh, you know, they they taunted him and questioned him and, and harassed him uh, all the time that he was there. And then led him away, cut John the Baptist's head off and, you know, led Jesus away uh, and, and uh, you know, whipped him until, uh, you know, his insides are actually coming out and all the other horrible things that took place. There's a great and a dreadful aspect of either day and that's not a problem. But what, what uh, I mean, in our English language, that's not a problem. But the great is a reference to his first coming and what he did according to Luke chapter 4 because he was there to save men from their sins. The dreadful day of the Lord, though, comes at the end of time for the Gentiles and there's no more, there's no more salvation after the bride is lifted off the earth. I said there's no more salvation after the bride is lifted off the earth. That's when grace ends for the Gentiles, and God turns to the Jews. And so therefore it becomes a time of judgments being poured out in the earth and tribulation starting and so forth, and the earth being renovated for Christ to come back. Brother Bram said it's so filthy he doesn't come back until the millennium after the fire falls on this earth. His first coming wasn't at the day of the Lord. Watch now, this is a church age book. No, I'm sorry. It's the Laodicean Church Age. It's the series. He said his first coming wasn't at the day of the Lord. He's explaining Malachi 4 now. Okay, stay with me. His first coming wasn't at the day of the Lord. He said, let's straighten this out. Malachi 4, coming at at the day of the Lord. Watch his compound coming. His one coming and his second coming. Have you got your spiritual thinking ready? Everybody get your spiritual thinking hats on? Nobody does. All right, I'll say it real slow. He will send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now we realize that wasn't John, or it wasn't just John, because it wasn't a dreadful day of the Lord, and neither did he burn the earth over lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And neither did he burn the earth. So when John the Baptist came and Jesus came, the earth wasn't burned over. So there's some part of this that hasn't been fulfilled, right? Are we together? Brother Ram's just taking it real slow here and going through it. And he says, and neither did he burn the earth. So it must have been a preview or another future coming of Elijah. That's exactly right. Because he said, I'll send Elijah and I'm going to burn the whole earth, just clean it off, and walk out upon the ashes, that's the millennium. Because he said, I'll send Elijah, and I'm going to burn the whole earth and clean it off, and you'll walk out upon the ashes. That's the millennium. (laughs) You're too busy today on Wednesday, that's the problem. Let me say it again. Because he said, I'll send Elijah, and I'm going to burn the earth, clean it off, and you'll walk out upon the ashes. That's the millennium. Everybody believe that? Well, there was supposed to be a forerunner come before that event, which is burning the earth off and prior to the millennium. But that was not John the Baptist. That, my friend, I believe, was William Branham, who fulfilled Malachi 4, the second part, right? When John came, there was no burning of the earth. There was no millennium after John came right? Church went into dark ages, but there was no millennium. And he says, and there'll be a great day here on the earth and the church will reign with Jesus a thousand years. But before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, when it's going to be all blown up, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. So it did not mean John the Baptist because the dreadful day of the Lord wasn't then. It was 2000 years away, 2000 years off. So when Malachi wrote it, it was still hundreds of years until John the Baptist showed up, and another 2,000 years before Malachi 4 shows up. So God can take in one verse and encapsulate all of that history and all those years right there and say it. But you know what? He can just let it lay there and reveal it to the elect in their day. And you realize, whoa, I can't. Somebody out there asks you and says, well, who is William Branham? You can bring him back and say, well, let's start right here. Let's start right here and look in the scripture and look at Malachi chapter 4 and look at that. And God's talking about the day of judgment. He's talking about the spirit of Elijah. And he's using it two times here. Once in the, in the ministry of John the Baptist here, prepare the way of the Lord. And then the second time before the great dreadful day of the Lord, or the dreadful day of the Lord, which wasn't then, but 2,000 years later. All right, let's look at these five real quick here. Elijah the Tishbite. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, was broken down. The spirit of Elijah is a restoring spirit. This spirit that God loved and used five times. He was not only confrontational, because he was not afraid to go in and confront anybody based on the truth, but he was also one who sought to restore. If there was something broken down in the, in the in realms of the kingdom or in realms of the of the word or true worship, Elijah was there to restore it back up, right? Elijah was there to set the stones back up again and get it all get the order uh, the altar all in order and get people around it in order to worship correctly. Come on, folks, look at that spirit of Elijah in the days of uh, which we live. And what did Brother Branham do? First thing he does, he comes back and he picks up water baptism. And communion puts that back. Hey, that belongs on the altar. Amen. If we're going to worship right, we're going to have to have these things on the altar. And he puts water baptism and communion foot washing. We're going to get those things here. We don't need these other stones. We don't need those other stones here. But these are the things that make up a true altar. Because you know what? He's got the same spirit of restoration. He's restoring things back to the church. He's setting things up in the way that they should be. And so, this is what Elijah did. He, uh, he repaired the altar of the Lord. He prophesied judgment against the backslidden nation. Bingo. I, I guess I shouldn't say that, right? And then held back rain for three and a half years and repaired the altar of the Lord among Carmel. In the time of the divided kingdom, Elijah used 12 stones. So even though the kingdom's divided in the eyes of God, it's still Israel, right? 12 tribes, right? So Elijah doesn't pick up 10. He picks up 12. Then we find on Elisha, the Spirit of God passes to Elisha after Elijah goes. And it came to pass when they were gone over. By the way, the school of the prophets is still looking for Elijah. They got their eyes on Elijah, right? Right? And it came to pass when they were gone over, Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I will do for thee uh, before I be taken away. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of my spirit fall upon me. And so the spirit of God, um, spirit that's on one man falls onto another man here and actually comes in a double, double whammy here and he continues the ministry of Elijah, given a double portion of the spirit of Elijah, illustrated how the spirit of Elijah would be used later. So in all of those miracles, you could take all of those miracles and you, could, you can uh, forecast through those events in Elisha's life how the spirit of Elijah in the rest of the Elijah's coming would actually be manifested. You know, and making the iron float and all the other things that he did. Twice as many miracles. And he also had, now, a significant dealing with Gentiles. Whereas, you can count on probably one finger back in the Old Testament how many of the prophets actually did things for the Gentiles. Can anybody think of one? I can. Jonah. Right? Jonah went to Nineveh. But outside of that, If you can think of one, let me know. But here's, here's, here's Elisha and Naaman comes. And Naaman's an enemy of Israel. And God still shows him mercy through Elijah. And Hazael. And, and here's God showing mercy through Elijah to Hazael and so forth. And so here, if God's going to do this in showing mercy to the Gentiles... He can use the spirit of Elijah again because he already did that, showing mercy to the Gentiles at the end. And you know what? The reason why we are where we are today is because of God's mercy. And God extended that mercy to us because you know what? It would get so close that it would deceive the very elect if possible. And even Brother Branham said, when looking out on the scheme of things, the, the scope of time, and goes into 1977, and he says, he says, that's why it looks like it all could end right there, because I didn't see any light past that point. Past 1977. He said, I didn't see, is what he told a reporter. He said, I didn't see any light past that point of 1977. But hey, we're here. And walking in the light. And you know what that is? That's that's mercy that's extended to the Gentiles. And God used a prophet with the spirit of Elijah in order to bring that to pass. All right, so John the Baptist. Now here's where it gets really interesting. But the angel of of the Lord said uh, to um, Zechariah, Fear not, thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. So John comes and he prepares the way for the Messiah. That's kind of exclusively what he does. He's focused on this one thing, and he's turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he's preparing the way. He's taken, he's taken the wind out of everybody's sails. Because now everybody needs to submit themselves to baptism for repentance. And repentance is a humbling, isn't it? Come on. Repentance is a humbling. Hey, we realize, you know what? that I've, I've, I'm a sinner. And that's, that's all I am. Yeah. Matthew 11.10. For this is he whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, and he shall prepare thy way. And Malachi 3 and 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So John turning the, the hearts of the fathers, and he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and neither drink wine nor strong drink. He's under a Nazarite vow, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He's a restorer. He's, he's one who's bringing things back, right? And he's not only is he, is he doing that, but he's bringing people back to a place of repentance here and, and recognizing their need of a Savior and the fact that the law did nothing but put him in the jail, right? He's bringing all of that to them, and that's exclusively what he's doing. He's not roaming around through the villages performing miracles here. Uh, he's not turning water into wine. He's not doing any of that. He's the one who's, who's removing the rocks, He's making the low places high, he's making the high places low. He's not afraid who comes out of Jerusalem and says whatever they want to say. Hey, I got a mission, I got a commission, I got an understanding that in my lifetime, somehow or another, I'm going to run into the Messiah. Amen. And he's fixated, he's focused on that. And he's not afraid to say anything about Herod or anything else or what the, the times and all that. He's not afraid of any of that. He's got one job to do, and he does it. And nobody can stop him. And he don't care. It's amazing. It's amazing how bold that spirit of Elijah actually is. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And that's exactly what John did. And the fathers were opposing the ministries of John and Jesus. Part of their day's message was to turn the hearts of a corrupt priesthood to the simple faith of children. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, according to Malachi 3. And except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So these scriptures are not even spoken yet. That's Matthew 18. And they're not even spoken yet. But that's what John is doing. He's bringing everybody to a place of preparation for the Messiah and reminding them they need a Messiah. Whether they realize it or not, they need a Messiah. And turning the, the, the disobedient to the just. Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being... Uh, stone before the council, ye stiff net and uncircumcised and in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have ye not have not your fathers persecuted, and they slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been betrayers and murderers. You guys are operating in the spirit of your ancestors in the same way, the same spirit of unbelief. And it's passed on down here. These spirits don't die. They don't go anywhere. They carry on from generation to generation. And here's Stephen now anointed as a uh, you know, as a martyr and a witness and you know, a, a member of that early church there full of the Holy Ghost. And he's not afraid. He's not afraid to stand and resist those people. It doesn't do any good. They still stone him. But he's not afraid to stand and say what it is that's true. And he says, you folks here, he said, you have resisted and showed before they have slain Uh, them and which showed before the coming of the just one and all of this he said happens before the coming of christ he said you've done that of whom now you have been listen these are some of the people who would have stood there and said crucify him crucify him this is early in the book of acts this is this is acts chapter 7 and and this is early in the game here so there either would have been people in that crowd who shouted crucify him or would have been related to somebody who did because this is in Jerusalem here. And they're now they're, they, they yell to crucify Jesus, and now they're yelling to crucify Stephen here. And, and, and Stephen is just laying it out. He said, Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? My goodness. That's all you people are known for. Well, I'm going to pick one. I'm going to pick Elijah because he's a restorer, and he's one who shows mercy. Oh, I'll tell you what, I, this, this gets good. And so we see, Brother Branham says, we see a seventh angel messenger. I'll stop in a minute. He said, we'll see a seventh angel message coming, and he's a prophet. There's absolutely no, absolutely no doubt that Elijah must return before the coming of Jesus. Stop. It's interesting how much time Brother Branham spent on making sure we understood what it meant to have a prophet among us. And he was not promoting William Branham, William Branham, William Branham, build a kingdom, build a university. You know, he, he wasn't saying that. He just wanted us to be clear in the scripture that there was indeed a need for a prophet in the last day. It was prophesied. And if there's a prophet, there's going to be a prophetic utterance. There's going to be a message, right? And he wanted us to understand that. He was not trying to point the people to him, but he was trying to point the people to the one he was pointing to. And that's a big, big difference, right? And there's no absolutely no doubt that Elijah must return before the coming of Jesus. He has a specific work to accomplish that works part of Malachi four six which says he'll turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, and he's already accomplished the part that says he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, where the Elijah ministry was here in John the Baptist so he's 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 doing this thing all the time he's pulling apart these two ministries here in malachi 4 that was john the baptist this is malachi 4 that's in the coming of jesus this is at the end of the gentile dispensation right see what he's doing he does it over and over i could show you bunches and bunches of quotes here he's doing the same thing he's just he wants us to be sure he's articulating he wants us to be sure he's separating those two things here and you had to get that clear right and if somebody says well how do you know that that's uh you know that's two different men right there And you can go back to the part where he says that, uh, you know, he'll burn the earth with fire and will walk out on the ashes of the wicked. Hey, they never did that in the days of Jesus. If that was true of all, if that was about John, then you know what? Somewhere or another after John was on the earth, they would have somehow or another the Lord would have burned over the earth and walked out on the ashes. Never happened. I mean, in 2,000 years it hasn't happened. Is it going to happen? Absolutely. How do I know? Because the scripture tells us. And even if it doesn't happen in your lifetime, I believe you'll probably be a witness of it in the other body you'll get. Because we'll walk out on the ashes of the wicked. Flip on down here, Luke 1, 7. But it does not say that the hearts of the children were turned to the fathers. That is yet to take place. The hearts of the last day children will be turned back to the Pentecostal fathers. Now this prophet, upon whom the spirit of Elijah falls, will prepare the children to welcome back Jesus Christ. So here's the statement that we're making. Malachi for both Jews and Gentiles. Elijah to the Gentiles. That's exactly what we're saying. Martin Luther said, I know of nothing more to expect concerning the coming of Elijah, unless it might be that his spirit will be manifest Again, in the power of the word of God, as now seems probable. For I have no longer any doubt that the Pope, what with the Turks, is Antichrist, whatever you may believe. Huh. You wonder why he had to escape to a castle and spent his time translating the, the, the Bible uh, into German. It's because he making statements like this. Nobody made statements like this and lived to tell about it. Nobody did. My uncle, I've told some of you this story before, <clears throat> my uncle was a bachelor, confirmed bachelor. He's, he was an eccentric, as many of my relatives actually were. And he was the one who was a butler to the Duke of Wellington for a number of years around World War II and taught me how to make tea. Bless his heart. And by the way, there was never any ice cubes put in tea. So he, living in the street that he lived on, he lived near a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. It was a functioning Jewish synagogue, Bethel Synagogue. Grew up seeing it all my life. Went rode past it on our bikes. I mean, it was just a common thing to see the synagogue. The rabbi who was there got to know my Uncle Jim because he used to walk to Mass. My uncle used to walk to Mass, and he'd go right by the synagogue. And the rabbi got to, hey, how are you doing, you know, neighbors, and, and got to talking with him and so forth. And he said, <clears throat> finally one day he says to my uncle Jim, he says, hey, uh, the guy who used to help us here in the synagogue, he's no longer available. He's no longer around. So we need somebody to turn off the lights on Friday nights and lock up the doors because that's considered work for a Jew on the Sabbath. So we can't do that. We can't turn off the lights on, on Friday nights. They had worship on Friday nights and Saturday morning. And they said, we can't do it. Uh, we can't turn off the lights. So going out the door and, and do that. And uh, they said, so we need somebody to come who can, who can do that for us. And more than likely, it would be a Gentile. So would you be willing to do it? He said, hey, no problem. So for years, my uncle went in the synagogue, locked the door, turned the lights off, put the cat out. Did everything he needed to do and locking it up at night and and um, <clears throat> so one day I was ha, happened to be with my uncle and uh, it was just when we were in the message you know on Friday night I'd never be walking with my uncle who was sixty years older than me I'd never be hanging around with my uncle on Friday night are you on Friday night are you kidding on a Friday night I wouldn't be with my uncle so when I came in the message I had no friends they all left me so Friday nights were very free. And one Friday night, I was walking with my uncle, and we went down. And he says, i got to go in the synagogue before we go home. I said, really? He said, yeah, synagogue. Really? Yeah. So we go inside the synagogue, and I'm like, wow. Was Jesus here? You know, I I didn't know. (laughs) I mean, this is, I had never been in a synagogue before. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And I'm looking around the synagogue, and there's the scrolls. I'm just in the message, right? I'm still wet behind the ears, and I'm in the message and looking at the scrolls and, you know, the Torah and the robes and everything. I'm excited. And uh, he says, Come on. I said, Give me a sec. I want to look around. And so I looked around the sanctuary, and then they have the the, the, the place for the women the women have a special place where they worship in the synagogue and, and then they had a kitchen and in the kitchen it had a big poster it said the, the things that you're not allowed to do on, on the Sabbath day and I, I, I love that poster so much the servile work that you couldn't do I ordered one from the Hebrew Society I ordered one and I still have it that poster and I was just, I was just excited so we turned off the lights, locked the doors and I said next Friday night I'll be here if you ever don't, you can't go, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, anytime at all, I'll do it. But i want to go with you. If you're going to go, I'll go. So <clears throat> finally, one night we go in there, he and I, and the rabbi's there. He's still lingering. So I said, Rabbi, Rabbi. And he looks at me and I said, I, I, I just, I just got to ask you a question. I said, do you think it would be possible that I could bring our church here to come and see the synagogue and visit? And talk with you and just, just share a little about the scriptures. That's all we want to do. And just come and have you uh, share some things and and uh, and and just spend a little bit of time here in the synagogue. And you could show us around and tell us about your worship and so he said, Well, I guess so. You know, and he, he looks at me funny and uh, like the pharmacist at Walmart. And <clears throat> he's looking at me and he says, Yeah, I guess so. And I said, Next Friday night? And he said, oh, I guess so, that'd be all right. So Next Friday night. No, it wasn't Friday night because it was Sabbath. It was Monday night. We went on a Monday night. And uh, I told the church. And, you know, I mean, there was probably 10 people. (laughs) But I said, we're all invited and we can all go. And I said, you need to be there at Monday night at 7 o'clock. So we went there. We're all waiting on Monday night. So he brings us around. He shows us the different rooms and the, the scrolls. He takes out the scrolls and he shows it to us, you know. Man, we're excited. I mean, this is... This is, you know, the Bible coming alive here, and we're excited, you know. And so we're, in the end of it, I, I said, now, look, Rabbi, if it's all right, I mentioned to you we could maybe ask some questions, you know, back and forth. And, um, you know, just share. He said, no problem. we got a few more minutes. So he sits down. We sit down, and uh, we're asking him questions. And somebody asked him this question knowing the answer, okay. They asked him this question. They said, it says in the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, that there would be the spirit of Elijah that would come again. And he would turn the hearts of the the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And this brother said, it might have been one of my brothers, and he said, do you believe, like a lot of people in the U.S. believe, that that is a school of the prophets? It's many prophets that will come with the spirit of Elijah falling on them and anointing them in the last day. And they'd be prophesying about, you know, the great dreadful day of the Lord. Do you believe that's many people? And he, he, went, he was appalled at the question. And he just leaned back and he said, absolutely not. He said, that is one man in the last day with the spirit of Elijah on him. And he said, he'll turn the, the, the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he said, it'll be one man that will show with the spirit of Elijah on him. Just like the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And he said he'll come. And after he comes, your Lord will burn the earth with a curse. Stupid. That's kind of, I mean, it was so, to me, him, it was so obvious. It was so apparent. that That's what that scripture was about. It's not about a school of the prophets. And it's not about a bunch of people. And it's not about some, some Gentile anointing here. It had nothing to do with that. He said, that's the spirit of Elijah. And it'll be on one man and he'll come. Amen. That was the end of questions and answers. That was the end of the session. And we got up and said shalom, and we left, and and uh, that was it. But I remember, I remember his expression when that question was asked. And he was absolutely, to a Jew, that's absolutely what that means, that this is going to be one man who comes at the end of, the, of time. Now the whole part about Jesus and John the Baptist and all of that, you know, the, that's, that's fuzzy for a true Jew, because they're blinded, right? But when it comes to Malachi 4, the second part, he said, absolutely, that's one man with the spirit of Elijah. Let's stand to our feet. So I trust that will help in in helping you to divide between the ministries of Brother Branham and John the Baptist there and looking at the 2,000 years that separates them both. And that's all, that's a. A study that leads out to lots of other things and lots of other uh, good questions that we can talk about and things that we can defend. God is good to us, He's given us an understanding. The understanding speaks of your revelation. We can explain things, even our young people here can explain things that a lot of people have spent their lives studying. And we can, we can explain it because God's revealed things to us. And the understanding you have doesn't come because you're smarter than somebody else, or it doesn't come from school, it doesn't come from a school of the prophets, it comes because you have the right revelation. And Jesus recognized that in that centurion. He says, "Well, you know, where'd you get that? That's—I've never seen that before in Israel. This is amazing. That's God dealing with this man and giving him that kind of an understanding, because that's exactly right, and that's exactly how it's done in my Father's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it should be. That's exactly the way that it should be. Let's sing, let's sing. <clears throat> I have a, a maker." He knows my name. Let's sing that. It's in that key.
4: I have a maker He formed my heart And before even time That chorus again now. He knows my name. Father, I have We thank you Lord for this time tonight we've had in your house just to study your word Lord
1: I pray dear God that you would minister to the hearts of every one of those that are listening tonight Lord give us understanding I pray and Lord may our understanding be your true expression Lord of our, our faith in you you've done great things in this last day Lord and we're so excited to be a part of it now Lord I pray speak to us continually that we might obey that we might do exactly what you'd have us to do. Lord Jesus, we pray now for those who are sick, Lord. We thank Sister Becky and Brother Fulcher in the hospital tonight, Lord, and we ask and pray that you would undertake for him. And Lord, just have your hand upon everything that's done, Lord. We commit it to you. We love you and we thank you. And Father, we can't help but think about the meetings and the weekend. And Lord, these things don't don't happen just by chance, Lord. But I, I believe there's a purpose in all of it. So, Lord, prepare our hearts. Go before us, Lord. Take away the stones. Take away the indifference, Lord. Take away anything that would hinder. And, Lord, may you just speak to our hearts. We give you this time. We give you, Lord, that whole set of services and ask, Lord, that you would just come and be the preeminent one. We thank you and ask you, Lord, to bless the balance of the week of all the people who are here. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you will take a few minutes and pray for the services coming up on the weekend? The devil doesn't like that. So you know what? We need to to be proactive and pray that God will have his way. Next Wednesday night is our first Sunday of Wednesday of September. er, Next Wednesday night is the first Wednesday of September. Joe, we're going to have our young people take our service.
4: Sing this as you go tonight. Keep your mind Keep it stayed on me Yes, stayed on me Faithfully And I I will give